This is Fam Electric Ghost, or live on the air with John Wood, entrepreneur and longtime traveler. How are you doing today? I'm good, Phantom. How are you, mate? I'm doing all right. I want to let people know we are a featured podcast on the Newsly platform. You might see that icon up there that says listen on Newsly. Uh, later today, you will be on Newsly with an audio version of the podcast. Those of you who uh, don't have video can use the coupon code of GHOST. If you go check out newsly.me and um, we're a featured podcast on that platform, I want to let people know that. Also, to let people know today is actually episode 1026 of the Family Electric Ghost podcast, tracking on Apple Podcasts since 2016. And we do have your website up, www.ragehard.co. I want to let people know that that will be fully clickable when we're published on all the major platforms that we're on. And uh, maybe you can tell folks, you know, after a brief introduction, um, like what, what will they find at RageHard.co if they click on that? What will they find? Well, <clears throat> um, so RageHard is a collection of, I'd say a collection of tools, strategies, and uh, frameworks, a way to work with the mind, the body, a way to clear the mind. I mean, the simple way to put it is uh, some of the customers, the clients who've come through have described it as it can silence their mind like never before. And these are people who've meditated. They've done all kinds of different things, but there's something about what I'm doing with Ray Chart, but it's learning to work with the nervous system and understanding the stress response and understanding why do we have these thoughts? Why are we so anxious and depressed? And why do we have all these things? And if we, we learn to work with the nervous system, uh, it's a very, very powerful way to shift those things. And uh, it's not really about thinking about what's happened, journaling, analyzing it, gratitude lists. It's not really like meditation. It's a little bit like that. But um, it's just a real, I'd say it's like a powerful new way, new for most people to be healthier and happier, more grounded, more alive. And that's what they'll find at Rage Heart. So maybe you can kind of give a, um, your story, your background, and how you came to find Rage Heart as a as a as a method compared to meditation and other types of practices. Maybe kind of give a little bit about the audience a little bit about tell your story and how you came to develop Rage Heart. Mm -hmm. Well, so <clears throat> I'm currently in Peru, oh, but I, I say that because I've been traveling for a while. So three, four years ago, I was in Thailand, Chiang Mai, northern Thailand, about an hour north of Bangkok. I've been living there for most of, say, six, seven years. And uh, for a long time, I think I'd felt like something was missing. Something, you know, I, life was pretty good, you know, like I had a business, I had a girlfriend, I, I had friend, good friends, like I had a pretty good life in many respects. And yet there was something that just wasn't right, something that felt off. And I couldn't really put my finger on exactly what that was. I just knew that something was missing. I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't happy. I wasn't satisfied. And so I was searching. And so I did a lot of the things that people do. I meditated and I've done gratitude lists and journaled, I think, more than a million words by this point. Um, I've done breath work and ice bars, all kinds of different things, uh, psychedelics, which I'm still very much into at the moment. Uh, but so I've been trying all these different things. TRE was another thing, really just looking for, I mean, at the time, I don't think I knew exactly what I was looking for. I just knew mm -hmm. I was looking for something, something other, something more than what I had at the time. And uh, right around that time, since the start of 2020, just as COVID is kicking off, I um, <clears throat> I was doing a lot of TRE, which is stands for trauma release exercises or tension release exercises, where you learn to basically, you wear out certain muscles in the body and the body starts to shake. And if you see like animals in the wild, children do it. Like when we're really stressed, sometimes the body starts to shake as a way to let go of that stress. Yeah, shake it so off. Exactly, shake it yeah. Off, so, yeah. You, so you can activate like a, an involuntary, you can, I mean, it's voluntary, I suppose, because you're doing the exercises, but it, then it becomes like a, the body just starts doing it. So I was doing a lot of that. And, um, and then I spoke to my sister around that time and she'd been going through some different things working with some stuff from her own childhood and she told me that she just started seeing a somatic therapist so somatic is it like the psyche we think of as the mind our thoughts our stories um what's in our head and somatic points to the body the physical what's going on down here everything well it includes the head but it's all the physical stuff 
And so she just started seeing a somatic therapist. And the way she described the the session or some of the work that she'd done with this lady, something was like, something sparked in me. I'm like, that, I just, that sounds amazing. Like something, I don't know, call it divine guidance, whatever. Like it, there was something in me that's like, I just have to try this. This sounds amazing. So I, <clears throat> off the back, got off the phone with her. And I remember searching Google straight, I think really soon after that, just saying uh, TRE, which is that shaking thing I was doing at the time. Uh, verse vs somatics somatic experiencing which is one of the official you know certifications you can do in that space that led me to an article and reading this article the way this guy described um basically the disadvantages of tre or the disadvantages of certain practices that for can in some ways force uh the energy or the stress that's in the system to start to come out and he was sort of offering a, another way, this somatic way of learning to work with, okay, here's how the nervous system works. Here's why it's storing the stress. Like, why is it even there in the first place? So understanding the, we might say the theory around it and then techniques for starting to allow that to come out in a way that's safe and less rushed. Because I think TRE can be good, but what can happen is, <clears throat> just some context is we all go through life. Shit happens, right? Bad stuff, whether it's with our parents, bullies, teachers, life is hard sometimes. And that produces emotions, thoughts, stress, we could just call it. The whole thing is just stress. It's pain. It's discomfort. And if we're not able to release that at the time, feel it and release it at the time, it sort of sticks. It sort of stays in the body. And we all know this, right? It's like when we um, we all have triggers or buttons that if someone ever gets triggered, someone says the wrong thing, we get, oh. And so that's this stuff that's stored. So we're all walking around with this. And TRE is a way to... Force is maybe, I don't know if force is the right word, but a way to sort of make a lot of it come out at once. And this guy was explaining that sometimes that that's not always what the system needs, that there's a reason this stuff is buried. There's a reason it's, it's, it's all out of our awareness and using an exercise to sort of like almost like dynamite, blow it up so it all just starts coming out can actually overwhelm the system. A bit like how, you know, if your body is like a house, and there's electricity running through it. And this stress is, is energy electricity. It's what allows us to run away and to fight and to do all the things we do. If we put too much energy through that system at once, it sort of blows a fuse, could burn the house down. And so the idea is that there's another way to work with this stuff instead of, say, forcing it out to go a much more uh, gently uh, in a way that's very safe for the body. And so <clears throat> I read this article and was like, man, this, this, is, this just makes so much sense to me. This feels like it's like all the other shit I've been doing bit better and um off the back of that found a course um his wife was uh, running a course just took her course and then took another one and and i, I mean within like a week or two <laughs> there's so much context here within a week or two i was so i remember thinking <clears throat> really it was like oh this is just like meditation all this other stuff i've been trying to do but but better there's a better understanding because it's grounded in we'd say the science of the nervous system understanding instead of it just being just meditate, take a deep breath, there's like a much deeper understanding of how to help the system calm down, how to create space for these things to come out. And uh, I mean, within a week or two, I remember feeling it was like I'd made more progress. This is a, like <clears throat> just an example. Like an epiphany, like it came, yeah. it made a lot of sense. Like sometimes, you know, I always feel that the universe brings things to you. I'm kind of this person, you know, I'm an artist, so I, I believe in the muse. I kind of believe uh -huh. in the, uh -huh. in the and as an artist, I feel like like you get connected and you have to be willing to listen. So sometimes mm -hmm. things come to you, but if you have a, a mindset that like rejects everything that comes to you, then then you you don't hear it or you don't see it or you don't feel it. So sometimes exactly. if you're more of a receiver, you'll be you're willing to to not have the judgment to just dismiss it. So mm -hmm. it looked like you were you were ready to hear it. Or, or, or feel this new idea. And then, you, and then based on everything you had done before, it made sense to you as like an epiphany. It's like, oh, this, mm -hmm. this, this is the missing piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, like, because <laughs> so a few months before that, I'd worked with some life coaches in Thailand. We'd done a mushroom ceremony, among other things. And uh, going into that, my intention was, you know, I had this big page of stuff that I wanted to get out of it. But really, I think it boiled down to his purpose, passion, and profit. I wanted to find something I could do that I believed in, which to me is the purpose. Something I loved, which is the passion. And then profit would be a way to make money as well because then it's sustainable. 
And uh, these coaches turned out to be some of the most manipulative, abusive people I'd met up, you know, up until that point in my life. They told me in this mushroom ceremony that I'd uh, basically, <laughs> they told me in this mushroom ceremony that I'd killed 20 million people in a past life. And that uh, now I had all these locks on my power and it was a whole thing. And I didn't really believe it at the time, but it created doubt, right? So <clears throat> when did this mushroom thing with them and purpose, passion, profit, and then had this, they turned out to be horrible people, really, really manipulative. But off the back of it, what was really interesting is that's, it's what led me to this somatic stuff, what led me down this rabbit hole of the nervous system. And, uh, and then it, it's become like, I've completely fallen in love with it because it's changed my life so much. And I've seen it <clears throat> in other people's lives. My um, like really close friend totally changed her life too. And uh, <laughs> so it's, it's sort of funny how it all came together. Uh, but um, yeah, an epiphany is a good word. It's like something just arrived. I asked and then something just arrives. It's like, this is what, this is amazing. It's changed my life. And then what Rachel is really is, I mean, I can talk so much about all the different things that's happened, but really it's, it's helped me so much. And yet it's very, no one really knows about it yet. It's around like in the, if you get into like the thera therapeutic circles and stuff, but it's still on the edges, you know, it's not like meditation, which is very mainstream. Yeah, it's like, and so my it's goal like with Rachel. It's like a bleeding edge, like new thing that's not widely known. Yeah, it's early. And so my goal with Raychart is to take these tools and this new understanding of the nervous system and and give it to people uh, who really need it. Just give it to the world and try and share it with as many people as possible. Because I think it could it's just changed my life so much, really. And to be able to give that to other people is just, to me, is, is an amazing, amazing thing. So that's Raychart. And that's sort of the story behind it. And one of the things you you like to answer, one of the questions you like to answer is like you you can. I've heard people talk about meditation and say there's a lot of people that can't get their arms around it. They can't get into that kind of meditation phase. They don't feel comfortable with it. So, you know, I'm a type of person. I, I like to just go. I live in New Hampshire. I'll just go walk in the pines or walk mm -hmm. in the woods. And in the summer, you like go barefoot. And I've been a, a kind of a person. I live in New England because I like to go on out in the mountains and the woods and walk. And I'm a musician, but like I like to clear my head by going out and doing that walk. And I feel kind of like Thoreau. And and a lot of the the, the poets used to say nature is a cathedral. And I kind of get reinvigorated by that. And it, it gets mm -hmm. rid of the noise. Mm -hmm. There's so many things today. There's so many things that kick off noise. But it seems like you found a way to uh you know get that noise out of your system or maybe the in the mind sometimes can get cluttered with so many things that you don't know which thing to pick because you're too mm -hmm. too many inputs especially mm -hmm. in today's society with the cell phones and all the things that we get so i'm wondering like you maybe could talk more about like what meditation's not you know maybe the answer and this this is another way to, to approach things Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, meditation, I've, you know, meditated 20 minutes a day for most of 10 years before I got into this stuff. I rarely meditate now because I just don't feel like I need it. Uh, but um, it just, I mean, so this whole, it's like, where, where, to, where to begin? So, we, so with the nervous system, understanding that we have basically like a relaxation mode and then we have like a get up and do shit mode. And the technical term for it is parasympathetic is we're relaxing, we're eating food, we're talking, we're in parasympathetic right now for the most part. We're socially engaging. And then uh, sympathetic or that get up and go, is, or, which can be is doing some squats in the gym, going for a walk. Uh, it can be uh, getting into a fight with someone. So we have these two modes and uh, they're both absolutely needed. We need, all, we need both sides of it. It's not about always being chill and it's not about always being on. It's about learning to navigate this. And so... <clears throat> So understanding like when the mind's doing all kinds of different things and it's worried about different things, money and people and all the different things in our lives that we worry about, you know, that we can think, we often think that that's the things themselves. They're the problem. But I guess where I'm at now with it is often I think it's the issue. Sometimes there are problems to be solved, but sometimes it's just, we're just in that sympathetic state. We're in that, we call it sympathetic arousal. We're a bit activated and uh, if we know that, instead of <clears throat> worrying about stuff, we can start to go, okay, what does the system need? Well, the system needs to relax. Okay, well, how does it relax? How does What tells the system that it's okay to come down? It's okay to come out of that uh, 
always doing stuff mode. And a big part of that is safety, right? This is something I never heard about in meditation. No one talked about this, but it's literally just noticing, is it safe right now? So we, we can look around the room, we can <clears throat> listen and start to get a feel for, okay, if it is safe, can I just tune into that? Almost like a radio frequency. Can I tune into the, the elements of the, my environment, my life, that are telling me it's actually safe right now? And there's something about tuning, and this is just a, one of the first sort of uh, techniques or tools people learn. This is what I teach people with Raychart, is by learning to notice, and would say resource or orient to the safety, we start to give our nervous system the, the data. So it's not about saying I'm safe. It's about the raw data. So looking around, are we, am I actually safe? Okay, I am. And that sensory data then says to the system, oh, I don't need to be so stressed. I don't need to be so worried. I can actually start to let go. And then <clears throat> the body starts to, you know, come down. And uh, you mentioned walking. And so like within the this sort of way of working, within Rage Art, within the nervous system world, there's sort of like part of it's about getting into the body and being available for fear and shame and anger all the different things that we're carrying so when they can come out but then there's also this other flip side where it's like okay now it's time to go for a walk and we'll call that resourcing we're resourcing to nature a resourcing to a really good book or some music or a painting or drawing i play guitar i don't paint um i don't know what you mean by as an artist but i like to play guitar and sing and there's all these different ways of helping that like giving space for the system for these old old stress to come up and out and then balancing it with bringing every, sort of helping everything settle back down. So it's not about always being in the feeling, making time for that it is, but then it's also about, okay, let's go play guitar. Let's go for a walk barefoot. Fantastic. And so it's this, you know, meditation for me was always like, it depends on meditation, such a broad word it can mean so many different things. And there's so many different teachers of varying calibers. Yeah. And, uh, but they don't talk about this, you know, like it's, it's just sit there be present, breathe, watch your mind, this feels like this nervous system thing. It's similar in some ways of learning to be aware and learning to be present, but with some added, let's say, nuance or sophistication, kind of going, okay, there's a time to feel, a time to be present with the fear or with whatever the thing is that's coming up. And then there's a time to go, like, chill out, man. Like, go do some fun shit. So, yeah. Does yeah. that answer your question? That makes sense. I mean, I'm, I'm a creative. I'm a, I'm a sound designer. I'm a music producer. I'm a synthesis. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in my world, I use synthesizers and oscillators to create tones which are mm -hmm. frequency mm -hmm. and i've been doing it since i was 17 i'm 56 and so i find a lot of freedom and uh cathartic peace for a mind from just generating what i call sound paintings mm -hmm. so i'll just go in into my studio which i'm in right now and mm -hmm. i'll create soundscapes with mm -hmm. oscillators and sound waves and just free form kind of in the flow create things like a jazz fusion type of mindset. And so that's my, my, my kind of go-to way as an artist, like, you know, a painter might do that with a brush, you know, a guitar player might do, jump on the, on the six strings, start doing something. I jump on my Moog or my piano mm -hmm. and I just start playing or I start designing sounds. And I find that that art therapy, which a lot of people get into is like people, there are a lot of people who don't feel they could be artists they feel you have to be at a certain level to be an artist. And I feel you just have to give yourself permission. And I think that's part of that imposter syndrome that people have is like, I feel the arts has a lot of power mm -hmm. to kind of get you in line. And I, I'm a big believer in the muse and just going mm -hmm. in this kind of free, free flow inside and outside. And that's how mm -hmm. I solve a lot of issues with my life as I create a lot of these sound paintings, not for any purpose to make money, if they happen to make money, they make money, but I just do it because I love music. And so it's like, sometimes if you have a, a, something you love so much, it's not, you don't stress about whether or not something you create is going to be popular and people dig it. You just do it because it's part of your process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned producing. I haven't been producing much in a while, but um, I went through a period in Thailand where I was, making dance music so more like you know trap and not so much the atmospheric stuff but you know like you know like big high energy stuff and mm -hmm. i don't do it i haven't done it in a while uh, i've been doing other things but the the flow states and just you know i'd have some coffee and just get into the zone and just go all day it was so much fun 
Um, so I understand like music. I guess people get that with painting with all the different things, but for me, definitely music. Um, lately it's been, I have an acoustic guitar and I sing and just that like, you know, riffing, it's been like fucking amazing, man. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Cause it's like, sometimes people do it and they have a purpose. Like, but my purpose is just to free the music in, from inside. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just create without expectations about, mm -hmm. you know, how people are going to take it. I just put it down and I put mm -hmm. it out into the universe and I don't really care because it's like, it's part of my process since I was 17, I found the keys mm -hmm. and I found that it really helps me work out. Cause mm -hmm. I have a day job. I'm a software designer, very rigid structure, but there's creativity in it, but, but it, there's deadlines and all kinds of st stressful things. And then when I get into the music, I don't put expectations on it. I just give myself a place to be free. Mm. And I'll find I could go into it for hours just noodling. And mm -hmm. it just is if you're using one part of your brain for logic and this other part for expression, it's like I find that being able to access both pieces of my soul and mindset helped me a lot. And some people, mm. they find it hard to find that in their life. So they, they look for other things that will solve that void or fill the void. And I just think that a lot of times it's like, maybe we can talk about imposter syndrome that people don't give themselves permission to do what they love. They have mm -hmm. all these expectations of like what society puts on you and these truths that may not be truths. And you don't actually find what make brings you happiness or brings you peace of mind because you're trying to be people pleaser. Or you're trying to, wear a mask for somebody, but like, what are you doing for your own spirit? Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, like, like getting into, you know, working with the nervous system, a lot of it's about getting into the body. And so learning how to feel what, what's, whatever seems to be happening in the body. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, that process of, of getting out of the head and into the body. But one of the interesting things about it is like, as I did this, I went through this process of being amazing, but over time, it was like something's got a lot harder. And if there was like work, especially with work, if there was work that I was doing that I did not believe in, that I did not give a shit about, it became, instead of it being easier to push through, it got a lot harder. And so what's happened is like, I think a lot of people speaking, you know, you're talking about people who, who don't give themselves permission. I wonder how, how much of it is to do with people aren't really feeling just how unhappy they are because they don't want to, they don't know how to. And so with because they're not feeling... Uh, what's going on down here they don't really have this compass that's saying hey maybe this thing is maybe you shouldn't be doing this kind of work maybe you should go do this other thing maybe you should go paint or yeah play music whatever it happens to be and so you know doing this work for myself it's like some things got a lot harder and they've sort of fallen some of those, these things have fallen away and that can be things like you know, like a work i was doing i mean even things like like alcohol not that i was a big drinker even when i got into this but foods um, you start to notice the more i'm in my body the more i start to notice how everything's affecting me and how it actually feels on a you know on a felt level and then i start going oh that doesn't really feel very good i'm not going to do that anymore or if i have mm -hmm. to do it for the time being like work we got to make money i'm going to like keep doing that keep paying my bills but i'm going to start setting up these other things over here something that i really love and uh, so i wonder how much of you know music and, and people not doing what they want to do is like they've got a it's like learning how learning to feel first and then yeah that becomes a compass that shows them, Hey, don't go there. Let's go over here. Let's go have some fun. Well, it's hard. Cause I think it's hard to be authentic because a lot of people don't want to feel vulnerable. And the thing about being a creative is once you put something out in the world, a lot of times it will reveal your vulnerability. And so people have been taught that like, I'd be tough. I got to suck it off. I got to do this. I got to do the nine to five or I got to be responsible. So I can't, uh, entertain doing <clears throat> something that kind of foo-foo or something that's like, oh, it's, I don't know if that's solid. Mm -hmm. But, you know, things that are artistic or serve the soul or serve the spirit can't always be monetized, can't always have an apparent value, might not be valuable today, might take a, wa a while for it to become worthwhile to other people, but it could be very worthwhile to you. So are you so concerned about what the value is to others rather than the value is to your own soul? To me, music helps my soul. So I do mm -hmm. it regardless of what anybody else thinks. I just do mm -hmm. it because it's part of my process, like walking in the woods 
or working mm-hmm. out or things I need to do for my body or eating right, I'm a cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. At age 27, mm-hmm. I survived a level three sarcoma. So I had to learn there are things I probably shouldn't eat. There are probably <laughs> things I shouldn't do if I don't want to have it come back. So I, in order to stay cancer-free, I've stayed in a certain lifestyle because I knew what it's like to go through a level three sarcoma. And so mm-hmm. like, if you have never gone through kind of that type of crisis moment, you might not do what's necessary. But what I found is it freed me to not be scared to be vulnerable mm-hmm. because my body became vulnerable and I survived it. And I said, well, why don't I let my whole existence put myself into places like talking right now, the pre-cancer me, I was scared of public speaking. Now mm-hmm. I've done over a thousand podcasts. So I got rid of that. You know, so there's things that you can overcome, but you have to kind of solve your own like self doubts. And uh, mm-hmm. nobody knows when you're ready to do that. It's like it's your own timetable. You have to figure out when you're ready to confront those fears. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you remind me of like, I'll be with like being vulnerable. We think about it as a lot of that's being like a almost like safety. Like, is it safe for me to be myself, whoever that is? Is it safe for me to like want to do this thing or that thing or to leave this job and start a new one to whatever it happens to be? Like a lot of it, and this is the nervous system thing too, it comes back to safety. If we don't feel safe as it is, it's going to be very hard to push through and do something that we really want to do or learn that thing or share and create and put things out into the world or just be who we are because it's not safe. Um, And I think a lot of this goes back to, and this is where where we end up with stuff in our body, depending on how we grew, grew up, We'll be with like people at school or parents, caregivers, like just the way we were raised. And we might have had like a, an impulse to share, to sing, to scream, to do something, to express and emote, to, to rage, to be afraid or whatever it happens to be. And a lot of the time, the people around us when we we're growing up, they couldn't handle it. You know, yeah. shut the hell up or go to your room <laughs> or like. And so the message, we, it's like we internalize this. We are, okay, it's not safe to be me. It's not safe to just be who I am because it, it hurts the people around me. And then so we spend our whole lives living that out until we go, no, that's just programming, basically old survival scripts, which maybe as a kid, we needed to shut down certain aspects of ourselves to maintain the attachment relationship with our parents. Right. So it's like, the, you know, when we're a kid. It's more important that we're that our parents still love us so we can still get fed and have a, have a roof over our head than it is for us to be ourselves. And so like at once upon a time, it was useful then we grow up though and we're like well it doesn't really matter like you know if the parents they don't understand who we are they don't like us as who we are then that's okay we're still going to survive and so that's you know a lot of this work with rage art is this creating that safety to be yourself whoever the hell that is and to whatever thing you want to do and so as more of that safety comes on board and not just an idea but a feeling in the body then it starts to become a lot easier to do these things that for so long have been so difficult but like unleashing the beast, like you said, like if you're a kid in your parents' house, you're probably not really safe to unleash the be- beast because your father <laughs> say like, no, you can't unleash the beast around here, not while I'm around. Uh, you know, exactly. So, so, so it's like, but one, but the problem is a lot of times you could be like 32 and you still feel like your father's there, right? And I've been around people like that, and they they're not letting go. And I've been, I'm mm-hmm. a producer, and I'll be with a musician, and I know what they're capable of. And I see they're holding back and they're like, well, you know, is it because they're not, they're really not free. And mm-hmm. if what you try to do is like, I try to bring out and when I work with an artist, like do the thing that you're most scared of doing. Mm-hmm. This is a safe place to do it. Show me, don't show me that you can clone somebody else or, or, or do what you think I want. Show me who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing for people to deal with. Cause a lot of times people are not, don't feel free to show them the the real like looking glass self. They don't, they don't want to do, you know, they're scared to show that even themselves in the looking glass. And I was very much into Victorian poetry because they were always referring to the looking glass and saying, what's that about? And I would read all this, all the great poets, like, you know, Wordsworth and, you know, uh, you know, Lord Byron and, uh, you know, Blake, and I was like, what are they trying to get at? And as a songwriter, I was very much inspired by what they talked about. But even in their time, they were writing in code because 
they weren't given permission by their society to tell the full truth. They would talk about orgasms and hide it with an idea called little death and not really say what it was. And they would layer it, but they were still trying to get to the truth. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. And you can work with that as an artist. Like, oh, I can, I can layer things. I can have double meanings, like have all these things, but I can still express myself. Mm-hmm. And, and so that freedom to express yourself and start to explore what could you find if you're willing to kind of test the boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, um, like it's like where it's more, it's easier. Oh man, my mic. Uh, it's easier to be someone else or to be who we think we need to be or something like that. Cause any people reject us. What's well, not really us. They're just rejecting this idea we were living at. But if we show who we really are, if we really express what's on our heart, and then they reject us. Oh, sh- you know, that's... take it personal. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, that's the hard mm. thing. Like to be the authentic self. You know, because I was always this moment, like where I was a a, a a fan of music, like Neil Young, when he did um, his albums. Like he did this thing called the Ditch Trilogy, where he he had just finished like this really beautiful work. Uh, like a- after the gold rush and, and like really harmonized. And then he started doing all these songs that were like, like punk songs. They're like, hmm. they're like really heavy, uh, not fully, uh, you know, flushed out where kind of like his voice would crack, it would change. And he's willing to just put it on record. And, and, and then we're like, the, the tonight's the night is an example. And then time fades away. And those records, he called the Ditch Trilogy because I had hit the big time. I'd been successful. And then I wanted to see what would happen if I actually did something. And I called it the Ditch He called it the Ditch Trilogy because he didn't really care what the A&R people were saying. I'm going to do what I want. It was this kind of ramshackle, kind of second, third take. Just put it down because that's what it is. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. And don't try to fix it. Just let it be. And I was very much like into that type of recording style which is like mm. the happy accident, let it happen, let it be. Don't try to perfect it. Let let that the art be what it is in the moment. Uh-huh. And a lot of people will try to tell you, you shouldn't do that. You should try to mm. do a hundred takes until you get it perfect. Per, you know, without, you know, trying to make it, you know, more than what the moment is. But sometimes you lose the authenticity of the moment. And I think yeah. people do that in their lives. They try to, you know, th- you know think about every line they're going to say, and then not think about the moment mm-hmm. that they're in. Yeah, man. I mean, I when I I made a song like oh, twenty sixteen maybe, and uh, you know I recorded this vocal. It was just a you know I'm an all right singer, <clears throat> not not amazing, but somewhat okay. And uh, I you know sang the line, made the song. I was like, oh, it sounds pretty good. Let let me. But it's a bit rough, like you're saying. It's a bit rough. It's a bit uh, like it's a bit off. So let me let me like do this properly. Let's get a micro- proper proper microphone. Let's do like some really solid takes, and uh, like really nail it. And so I did that, and um, I guess technically it was more correct, like it's more in pitch, all that sort of stuff. But it lost the soul of it somehow. It was like oh, yeah. like I'm just the emotions gone because now I'm just singing a line. It was really really interesting. That's what people find is like you know in. in what we call the happy accident or the authentic self or the vulnerable self. And then today with computers and AI and, and all the capabilities we have, we're, we're not willing to do like in old days, we could just go throw something down on analog tape and it would make it harder to fix it. And not that you couldn't fix it. We would go back and retake it. But today you can go into the grid and this physically fix things. Mm-hmm. And it's like the worst th- thing that could happen to artists because mm-hmm. then they, they do what you just said. It's like that. They could be take three doesn't have the best mic actually has some like minor errors or there's no noise in the background, but it is the most authentic vision of what you were trying to say. Mm-hmm. And because you could go back and make it sonically perfect without the background noise, without hitting your buckle when your, your, your belt, your buttons on your, jacket hitting the guitar or whatever but sometimes all those little things actually are okay and uh-huh. and we've been told like oh it's not okay we got to k- filter those things out and and it loses that moment uh-huh. and I, I have to stress to so many people it's like this 
there's something about capturing a point in time moment of that creation mm -hmm. that's okay to just mm -hmm. let that moment be. Uh -huh. What a great metaphor for uh, like for life. Like it becomes like the music. Absolutely. Like there's a great way to approach music, but then this is a metaphor for how to be in the world to kind of go, okay, instead of trying to do things perfect, win everything in work and money and relationships, it's just like that take, that one take, that authentic, that's the goal. Not trying to do everything perfectly. It takes all the pressure off in a way. Once we get over the, you know, what if they reject yeah. me for who I am? Once we get past that, it's like a it's like a weight off. You're like, oh, I don't need to try so hard to be anything in particular. I can just, just be it as I am, whatever that is, and make mistakes and be gritty and be messy and it's okay. It's a weight It's off. like hitting a bad note. You know, an idea is like, there's a lot of musicians say there are no bad notes. So in jazz, you know, there's an idea of like, you know, if you're in a jazz fusion outfit and you're on stage and you hit a note that might be perceived as a bad note, you take it as an opportunity. You change the song, you evolve the song. Mm -hmm. Now the crowd mm -hmm. might not even know you hit the bad note because of how you reacted. And that's how you can deal with like life. Uh, you can, you can take a perceived bad note and riff off of it. But if you have to start and stop and people see you start and stop and say, Oh, I made the mistake. Oh, I'm sorry. You apologize. It's like, you're, you're profuse. You're like, Oh, you're like, no, you're not actually handling that moment mm -hmm. because you're, you're putting, drawing so much attention. Everybody now knows you made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Cause, and instead of actually riffing off of it and, and, and going forward, you're, you're kind of, you're so anxious about what you're saying. You're not actually accepting what is, and that, you know, it's not everything you're like, okay, you can make mistakes. You can live, but you can live life from your errors or your, mm -hmm. the things you do, you're always going to progress and you're never perfect. You're, you're not going to be done until you're done. Until you're not here. There's always room for improvement. And so mm -hmm. it is not, you shouldn't be in fear of that. You should just try to just take every step as it comes and not be so anxious about it. Hmm. You know, it's funny, like, like to bring it back to Ray chart, like, and what I'm trying to do with it, teach this stuff to people, you know, like I don't <clears throat> just be completely blind. Like I don't, I don't have like a formal certificate. I haven't done it. Like I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychologist. Never went to university, dropped out of high school. Um, I haven't done like some certificate in somatic anything. Um, and so coming into this, I'm like, this shit is amazing, but I don't have the formal qualifications to, to justify this. And so I, you know, for a while, I still get it sometimes. Like I'd worry like, oh, I don't know if I should do this. Like I don't have the fucking right credentials, blah, blah, mm. blah. And then it's like what you're talking about. So like I get it with writing. Ray charts, a lot of writing, trying to communicate and explain these things to people. And um you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I get caught up. I've got to explain it the right way or what if I say the wrong thing or I get a little bit off or I send someone off in the wrong direction. And at some point I'm like, man, if I try, if I wait until this is perfect, and if I wait until I'm perfectly ready and I'll never make any mistakes, I'm never going to do it. And all those people, so I've got people now coming in, they love it. All those people who I could have helped are going to miss out. So I just need to start and I need to do this thing and get it out there and I'm not going <laughs> to understanding that I'm not perfect. I'm going to get it wrong. I'm not going to explain things perfectly. I'm going to make mistakes and say the wrong thing and all of that and doing it anyway. And then like, it's like you evolve along the way. But if I wait until oh, I'm going to be until I wait until I'm ready, whatever that means, I'll never happen. It, like it never happens. Um, it's like an artist that has a lot of paintings in their, in their loft and somebody, their friend comes in here and they say, if you had a gallery show and he said, no, I'm not ready. You see a hundred pieces in the loft. And you're like, you look like you're ready to me, you know, but, but if you don't believe you're ready, you're not ready. So I've run into a lot of artistic people that they, they, they have that problem. They got mm -hmm. that hundred paintings in the loft that they never put in the gallery. They got the poems they could read at the poetry jam, but they don't think they're good enough, mm -hmm. but you know, they could, they, there are people that have confidence and maybe don't have the work that's at the level of your work. And they have the confidence to go out there. I mean, there's a lot of musicians that'll say, like, like, I know there's a lot of guys better than me, but I was willing to go on the stage. And they weren't because mm -hmm. they weren't, they said they weren't ready. Like, was, was, how many of these people, like, they went on the stage and there's so many other people that could have done it, but they're like, well, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And so <laughs> it, it applies 
applies in life a lot. It's like you just have to kind of get the gumption to show up. Mm-hmm. If you show up, things will happen. It's like the law of attraction. There are going to be people that won't like it, but they're going to be people who dig it. They understand mm-hmm. it and they click with you. And then it will, it, you'll, you, you, nothing's going to happen with the law of attraction if you stay in your room mm-hmm. and you never show it. You never mm-hmm. present it. Like that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And part of it's like, like with Ray Chat, sometimes I'll worry about, oh, am I treading on someone's toes? Someone more formal with more certifications one day going to get upset with me because I'm not qualified or whatever. And, and to, or someone who just, you know, I get people who complain about, you know, I talk about meditation. I make fun of meditation quite a bit. And uh, it pushes some people's buttons and they get upset with me. And uh, <laughs> yeah, like, and I do it to stir the pot a little bit. You know, it's a bit of it's marketing, a bit of it's just having a, having a laugh, having some fun. And part of it's like being willing to, you know, like doing it anyway, knowing that some people are not going to like it. They're not They're going to hate me. They're going to get upset with me. They're not going to resonate. And like, even, you know, one thing I've tried to do, and, and this is a the marketing thing, you do this in music too, but, but, um, like intentionally sort of design. That's why I talk about unleashing the beast or like I try, I'm trying to bring like a more masculine flavor to the whole thing and, and in a way do it quite in a polarizing way. So it's like the people who don't like it, don't like me, doesn't know. They're like, man, this is so not for me. I hate this guy. I'm out of here. I'm going to go meditate. Like, cool. Great. You do you. And so it's, but really it's back to that thing of like being comfortable with rejection or with people who don't like you, with people who get upset with you. And, uh, I mean, I always think back to a quote. I don't know who said it. I think I heard it from Tim Ferriss. Something about how like <clears throat> if you're not pissing anyone off, if no one's upset with you, you're probably not doing much. You're probably yeah. not doing anything significant <laughs> if everyone fucking loves you. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole thing. If you think about people who challenge the canon, like, you know, that's the whole thing. If they challenge the canon, because like, you know, I went to these uh, a liberal arts school and there's people within certain canons within like the art world. And they're like, you know, you get the Longfellow canon, you get the Blake canon, you get Rembrandt, you get all these people. Like, and so if you challenge something, they say, well, that's not right. Yeah, the, you'll get people that say, well, you, you know, like if you think about Hendrix, when he showed up, feedback was not something you're supposed to put on record. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to actually commit that to tape. It's an error. It's a mistake. But he kept on pushing the recording engineers not to take it out. And there are people that wouldn't have been, that would have been, like weaker in their constitution, the way they said, okay, okay, the, the engineer knows what he's doing. So I'll let him take it out. Well, if Hendrix had let those engineers take it out, he wouldn't, people wouldn't know who he is. Right. So that that's the thing. There's gonna be people and people who are so so-called experts that will tell you that you're wrong. Hmm. And it happens all the time. But it's like you just gotta be, you know, stick to your guts, you know, your guns. And it's like, hey, I feel I have a right to be here and say something. Hmm. And that's where I think the imposter syndrome stops so many people from doing that. And hmm. anything I can say to get people to get beyond that is like, cause I like to, I like to hear people who are in that kind of underground. That's what this whole show has been about is to bring people who have not been heard out, you know, cause I'm not just talking about the people in the canon. I want to bring people out who are, have a different point of view. And so that's, that's where, what I'm all about. And, and there's nothing wrong with speaking your voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I've seen it with this, you know, somatics, that's sort of the field of it, working with the nervous system, what I'm doing with Rage Heart. Like in some ways it's like similar to meditation, but it's so the, the tiny little differences, like having feedback in a, in a, you know, going from no feedback to feedback, these small changes make a world of difference in the result. But I've seen people who are really, you know, they love the meditation. They're <laughs> one friend, he's a therapist, and he's a, all about mindfulness and meditation, all that. And I guess it's worked well for him in some in some ways. But I can see that there is this clinging to like an old way or my way. This is like this is very challenging to accept that maybe there's a better way. And uh, it's funny oh, watching. Like the old guard, yeah. It's like, how dare you question this 3,000-year-old tradition? I'm like, man, just because it's been around a few thousand years doesn't mean we can't make some improvements. Um, Yeah, it's like science. I mean, how many theories get overturned? Yeah, How many concepts of where you can't go? There's all these laws in science that eventually somebody finds out, oh, 
you can do this. Mm-hmm. The, 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 so the, the law can be broken as research goes forward. You find new things that you didn't realize were true. And so the, the, you know, the, I'm, I'm in the science because I do a lot, of, a lot of design with, um, you know, systems. And, you know, I started back in the day on mainframes and we could only do zeros and ones and very limited code. Didn't have a lot of, so we had to be very elegant in what our code was because we only had so much room. Now memory is not a problem. So we can be kind of inelegant. And so like in, in, one of the things that we found is like the old school programmers had to be very concise in what they were trying to do. And cause they only had so much room to do it. They have these really elegant ways that they figured things out. But now that you have all this unlimited space, you don't have to be as elegant. But one of those things that was cool about that was like the, the systems that went to Mars, I mean, not to, the, the space program had this, you know, you know, the spaceships only had so much room for the code and they had to design code that would work in that limited space and it worked. And today we have this unlimited space so you can introduce all kinds of problems when you don't have, you know, constraints and you don't push the constraints, you know, it's just, a, it's just an interesting thing that you can get into. But, um, um, mm. I just think that people don't understand that like, sometimes the boundaries cause you to be, uh, you know, push at them. And, and there's nothing wrong with people on the bleeding edge pushing mm-hmm. at, at something that, you know, don't it, it disrupt the canon. It's not like, you know, heresy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like challenging things a little bit, pushing, like, let's find out. Like, let's, let's, like, I think about it like <clears throat> meditations of technology. All these things are, we can look at them all as code or technology or an algorithm. And, uh, you know, I'm like, so you got meditation, which is cool, but let's see what happens if we bring in the science of the nervous system. It's like, we start to innovate. We go, okay, we have a practice of being present, but then let's, okay, well now we understand safety. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Okay. Now we we start to bring in these other elements. Then it starts to evolve. And what was, you know, in the past, you know, meditating in a cave might've been really useful when you had a really simple life. We have very different lives. We, you know, work 40, I don't know, people work throughout the whole week. We live in a digital world. We're on social media. Like our lives are very, very different. Does that make sense to get these tools and to innovate, to improve them, to optimize them, to design them with our new, greater understanding of how our bodies and minds work and to get better results? Um, That's funny too. Yeah, I mean, the thing about rage, when I was thinking about one of your questions, like healthy aggression, some people are so like adverse to like aggression is like, it's, it's negative. So they just want to suppress it and just get into these kind of mindsets where it's kind of like hippie mindset, where it's like everything has to be like peaceful. Everything has to be like, well, you know, sometimes the human emotion is like one thing as an artist is like I challenge that kind of thing. Well, I'll go into something that's kind of aggressive, like, you know, like a nine inch nail, like a punk aesthetic. Well, sometimes mm-hmm. the anger is necessary because there is a problem. And as an artist that, it, it, uh, you know, being able to express rage at something like an injustice and then have that represented in the notes or in the song, it's not always going to be some beautiful piece of melody. Sometimes it might be discordant. It might be jarring because it's needed. You need mm-hmm. to jar people into a consciousness <laughs> because they might be into a place where they're like, oh, you know, I just want to kind of chill out. Well, sometimes like you don't need to chill out. So, I, I, you know, maybe you can talk about like healthy aggression. Yeah, I mean, that's a great example. If you want to talk about the difference between rage heart, somatics, and meditation is, you know, meditation be like, oh, if you're angry, just just be with it. Just breathe. Just watch it. You know, it's very just, you know, sit there, take your deep breaths. Like, like it's very passive. It's very, you're just watching it. You're not getting involved with it. You're not really expressing anything. So that's meditation and that's most and often anger gets a really bad rap where it's like don't be angry anger isn't spiritual if you're angry you're clearly not enlightened you're clearly not spiritual you know it has that flavor to it and then on the other side you have you know raychard somatics this nervous system world and with that understanding comes okay we're we're mammals right like cats dogs tigers all of that we're mammals and if you watch cats or dogs like you know i got two cats um sometimes we have a dog here who stays here and like a dog is a classic example. He's got his food bowl, and if another animal goes near that, <laughs> he starts like he his teeth. You'd be like, like he raises up a lip, he starts to snarl, he starts to growl, his eyes start to narrow. Like so, what's happening is like this. Um, 
fight response is starting to activate, which is like a sense of boundaries, you know, because he's basically saying, this is my food, not yours. And if you go for it, I'm going to attack you. So it's a way to assert a boundary. That's what the anger is really for. And so it's not just like he doesn't, he's not thinking about it. He's like, it's embodied. He growls, he bears his teeth, his eyes narrow to focus on the threat. Uh, his muscles tense and prepare for action. So it's not just like a mental, oh, I'm pissed off. It's like a physiological, it's all through the body. And so what happens is, and I was like this uh, before I got into this. If you asked me, hey, Johnny, you an angry person? I'd be like, no, I'm just not. I'm just not really an angry guy. You know, sometimes I'm when I'm driving maybe, but I, I just don't really get angry. And then through this work, there has been times when like, you know, learning, you learn some of the tools and then sometimes these, I'd say charges or things can start to move through the body where it really is like being an animal again. And I'm growling and I'm snarling and I'm beating my chest, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's very organic and very authentic and it feels fucking amazing. And uh, I think so often what happens is this people push this down because it's not safe. It's not cool. It's not spiritual. It's not socially approved. But when this happens, when the anger is blocked, you know, that's how we assert boundaries. It's how we protect ourselves in some ways. And so if that's blocked, we're not going to have that ability to stand up for ourselves, to do, you know, to say what we want to say or to do what we want to do. Like an element of it is with motivation and getting up and taking charge of our lives is an element of that. It's the same kind of energy, that get up and go energy. And, um, you know, mine was very suppressed, I think, because as a kid, whenever I expressed that element of things, I think I got shamed into silence because my parents, one of my parents especially, really didn't like it. He triggered him, so he shut me down with his various gambits. And so I learned, okay, it's not cool to be, it's not okay to feel angry. So I pushed that down out of my awareness and came to believe that I was just not an angry person. And so then healthy aggression, instead of thinking of like um, aggression as bad, that there is this healthy aspect to it where like with cats, dogs, it needs to be unblocked. And so then it can do what it's designed to do, which is to protect ourselves, to give us motivation to go after what we want. So you have two extremes with it though. If it's blocked, it can either be, it's almost like it can either be completely suppressed, like, and that was me, like I'm just not an angry person, or you have the other extreme where someone's completely out of control with their anger and throwing shit at the wall and plates, and maybe they're abusive and violent with their family. Mm-hmm. And so bringing, <clears throat> working with healthy aggression is learning to create space for it to start to come up and they can start to release and start to come would say into more balance. So it's not like extreme on one side and it's not completely non-existent on the other side. Um, that's really what the healthy aggression work is about. And, and just as one example, uh, those people in Thailand where I did the mushrooms and the abusive manipulative coaches, like I think the reason I got caught up with them is because this was blocked. I had a funny feeling about them before I worked with them, you know, and there were things they would say when I could feel that, like I could feel this, like the aggression start to activate. But I learned through my childhood, I think, to to push that away. Don't feel that. It's not okay. And so when I started to get in touch with all this stuff, it's like, oh, my body's telling me. I don't need to think about it. My body, especially with anger, I think, will pick up when someone's messing with me, trying to Mm -hmm. manipulate me. When someone's not safe to be around my body, I'll feel it sometimes as anger, sometimes as fear long before I start to recognize it in my head and have a thought to, to understand it intellectually. And so, um, so that's the healthy aggression work. It's like that vibe, you know, you can kind of feel a vibe if somebody has like that, the best like intentions, you know, you can kind of feel if somebody's not authentic. And then you see if somebody's paying like, you know, destructive toward you know be doing something that's like not positive like and then also triggering and then and if you find ways like well i'm not going to get into a road rage incident right now because that's not appropriate in like polite society but when you learn how to you know express your anger in, in in positive ways through like art or through exercise or finding a place where you can un you know actually dive into it and and figure out where you don't push it down, but you use it. Like as an artist, I can use it. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, like an actor, they can use it in their performance. Like a method actor can take it and then kind of channel it. Mm-hmm. A painter can take it and channel it. Or, you know, a musician, we can take it and kind of like the power chords that mm-hmm. sound like, you know, the Clash or the Sex Pistols, sound like Guns N' Roses, like a Led Zeppelin, like it's kind of angry powers. Like where's that coming from? 
he's kind of kind of taken that kind of motivation and learned how to artistically represent it. You can mm-hmm. see the crowds kind of get into it. People like start gnashing their teeth. They start jumping up and down. Like why? You, you hit a frequency. You mm-hmm. hit a frequency that's triggering like this kind of thing, inherent thing that's in your in your human body that you are an animal, and it will trigger that animal kind of response. And you know, as musicians, mm-hmm. we can see it. We can trigger it. We can mm-hmm. get somebody into it. We can pull them back. Or we can mm-hmm. keep them in, you know, keep them going. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a beautiful thing about music, you know, like you just had different music for different emotions and how the music, like I remember I uh, when I broke up with the, my last girlfriend and like <clears throat> when I could sense like, some sadness starting to roll, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I could just feel a bit tense. I'd go sit down somewhere, put on some sad like love songs and just cry yeah. for you know an hour and hour. I just have the it was great. It, I was so sad and so heartbroken, and yet it was beautiful. And the music was such a like it just it just I don't know. It's just like the music just opened up that portal. You know that was sadness. You know you got yeah angry songs. Yeah, it's, that's one of the beautiful frequencies. Because I mean your heart music. is running a frequency. You mm-hmm. have electricity running to your body. You know as a musician, I you know I'm into waveforms because I'm into synthesis. Well, every instrument makes waveforms. But as a synthesizer, we have oscilloscopes and we can see it. So we can see our waveforms and then we can see how people behave when we use certain types of waves that have like dissonance or a really guttural sound. And we can see the response that people get, like in a mosh pit, like the grunge kid, they'll get in that mosh pit, they're jumping around. It's like, well, why? Because you're doing something that kind of triggers that. You trigger that emotion you can kind of have it happen on command and you're like, wow, you actually can tap into that vibe. And when you realize that that's there, like, well, that's there. You could actually tap into that talking. You could tap into that with your feeling. You could do nonverbal communication. If you've got that kind of thing in your head, you can actually still feel that energy, whether you say it or not. You can see it through somebody's eyes. You can see it in their look. You can feel it. Like it's it, it's a it's a known thing. It's out there. And mm-hmm. once you start to realize that that's out there, then you can start to understand it's in you. It's in other people. It's out in the universe. And I think that's that's this you know just learning about how this energy is you know transmitting everywhere is is, mm-hmm. is you know it's something that is part of part of what I do, but. I've talked to a lot of energy work people that, that kind of pick up on it and they're like, oh, yeah, there's a parallel there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, so I'm here in Peru and South America doing, you know, working with ayahuasca and San Pedro and various plants, plant medicine, psychedelics, and ayahuasca, especially <clears throat> uni, some people call it here. Um, so when I drink here, we'll sit in, it'll be six, six, seven, eight people in the room. And then two maestros, so shamans, maestros, people running it. And part of the way they work is singing. So they'll sit down in front of you. You take, you know, you're on ayahuasca, some varying, you know, I can be in all kinds of states, but they'll sit down in front of you and uh, look at you, smoke a mapacho. This is like a ceremonial tobacco, you know, start to look at you. And because of the ayahuasca, they can start to see inside your body. Like, okay, where is this stuff? Okay, we need to clean this out here, change this thing. And then they start to sing. And so apparently how this works, I, I haven't gone down this path learning how to do it myself yet, but apparently what they're doing is they're as crazy as this sounds. It's like they get out of the way. They're opening themselves up. It's a form of channeling. And so the plants start to sing through them. It's like the plants are taking possession of their body, singing to the mm-hmm. person. And then what they're doing with the songs is moving energy. Exactly what you're talking about with this frequency. It's just another another way to do it. And so they're singing and they're, you know, cleaning this, you know, all this fear and doubt out. Okay, let's let's get rid of that and let's bring in all this light and joy and beauty. And so it's just been a just a magical thing to kind of to witness and to feel it, to experience it. What like the song it's not just a song. The song carries a frequency. Yeah, it carries great. an energy. Yeah, it's yeah. the energy. It's the energy that's in the song. It's exactly. the waveform yeah, yeah, has yeah. energy and your body is energy. And so mm-hmm. like when you have a shaman or somebody who's like an energy healer, they understand how those waveforms work mm-hmm. and they understand what they mean at a high mm-hmm. level. 
and they knew how to read them and they knew how to send them. They knew how to accept them and they knew how to receive them. So it's, 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 it's really cool. And it's a lot of old kind of knowledge that was lost. And some people still have it through oral mm -hmm. tradition or just learning. And in this stuff, you know, been the science is starting to actually, you know, record the oh, some of this old stuff is actually real. Mm -hmm. Where people mm -hmm. like, you know, used to look at the indigenous people and they're like, oh, that's not real. And then they start, you know, they start looking at, oh, well, maybe there is real. <laughs> you know, it's like, but like they, they, they were looking at it in a certain light, kind of, you know, downplaying it, thinking, oh, they, they, these people are uncultural. They don't know this. It's like there's a lot of old knowledge that's actually very true. Uh, mm -hmm. And people just kind of pushed it down and didn't believe in it. But yeah, I think like now today we can kind of start to look at everything without having these lenses. Mm -hmm. And start to experience things and, and and find out for ourselves like does it work for you or not? Mm -hmm. You know, like <clears throat> like uh, oh man, my train of thoughts just floated away. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I was going to say, but I will say this: uh, when I got to the valley here, the sacred valley here, I remember someone saying, "Oh no, he told me that someone told him this when he first got here." They're like. Welcome to Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah, it's spiritual. Just because, wow. well, because like these things, oh, that's what I was going to say is like the, with the world and how like we, you know, in our society, Western society, we have this very mechanistic physical view of life. And if you can't see it, you know, God's not real, spirit's not real, all these, you can't see it as not real. And then, you know, what's been happening with me is I've been working with these plants and getting to these different people and learning about these traditions and like, I mean, there's a lot of bullshit around too, to be fair. There's a lot of stuff that I don't think yeah, is yeah, true. Yeah. But there's still certainly like a, an element of like, uh, like the fact that a song, like that someone can sing to me and then change things in my body without touching me at all with a song. is like, what, like, what? <laughs> how does that work? Like, I mean, like it makes sense now. Like I get it. Yeah. But it's so outside the world that the average person, person in the western world lives in it's just like like you know but then i bring in like the nervous system aspect to it where you talk about co-regulating so it's where when you know if i'm upset and you're really calm and we hang out and chat and you're able to stay calm i'll start to calm down because it's like our systems start to 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 co-regulate so you, yeah, you know if i'm, right, I'm up right, here right. you're down here yeah we yeah. start to come in and so i think a lot of that can be conveyed like you said through the voice because if i'm really stressed out and talking really fast and all upset and rah, rah, you know, that comes through in how I'm communicating. If I start to talk really chill, like I'm really relaxed, you start to feel it. And people, are, you know, it's like that exactly what you're saying. Like it's, so there is a scientific explanation for this or a way to, like we're all yeah. picking up on each other's moods where we're at emotionally and energetically in our nervous system. And so, and that's really, to me, that's why this work is so, so important because I think as each person does this and however they do that, whether it's through, you know, music and walking in the woods or whatever it happens to be, as we become more regulated, is the nervous system word, but we're calmer, happier, healthier, more whole. And, and we feel that, that peace and that joy, it ripples out to the world, all the people around us, you know, and then instead of creating destruction and pain and sorrow everywhere we go, we start creating joy and beauty and it just, you know, just this ripple effect. And so that's really rage hard. It's like change, give this to a few people, a few more people. It's like just the way that ripples out into the world and brings peace, joy and beauty, all those things, gratitude. You know, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I want to thank you again for being on the show because your perspective is a perspective I, we really haven't heard that much, you know, because the idea of Rage Heart, it, it's a kind of a cutting edge idea. But, the, you know, there's there's a lot of things in the public square that I want to bring to light. And what you brought tonight or today in our conversation is, is a different aspect of of kind of doing this kind of therapy and just kind of working, like embracing ideas that maybe to some people like, oh, you, you trigger something by you say what you say about um uh you know the idea of uh meditation it, it could be a triggering point to somebody that's a, a big believer in it but it's always good to challenge your your preconceived notions and and listen to other other voices and i want to thank you again for being on the show to to give us this idea 
of Rage Heart. And I want people to make sure they check out the, the link and click on it and connect with you further to dive deeper than what we can do to, in an hour. But uh, I want to thank you again for being on the show. It's been really interesting and informative. Mm, yeah, thank you, Phantom. This has been uh, it's been fun. This is a uh, you know usually I spend a lot more time talking about Rage Heart or the story and stuff. This is more like a riff on music and uh, just being happy and just just having a good life. And it's it's been really fun. It's been different, but uh, also very fun. So thank you for having me on the show, man. Thank you, and have a have a great night. And um, again, we'll be on all the platforms that podcasts are available on by later today, and we'll send you a landing page and some other information for your users, all the links that they can hit uh, so you can spread that to your audience. But thank you again for being on the show. Mm -hmm.